Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here at the Freightways Venture Capital Summit. Hope that you're having a fantastic time talking about the process of going from seed to IPO and everything in between. Today I have Andrew Korn, a partner at Sageview Capital. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, a lot of a lot of activity in the market. Uh, the last couple of years in, in freight and logistics technology has been super hot. You guys really dipped your toe in the market. I shouldn't even say dipped your toe. You actually plunged in with uh, a investment in DriveWise. Tell us a little bit about that transaction and how the business is doing today. Absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, having me again, and thanks for the question. Uh, you know, we're, we're long-term oriented investors and concentrated investors, so from the public, it definitely looks like we jumped in with two feet. But it's a market we've been really interested in for a long period of time, tracked it closely, and, and that enabled us to make a big bet, as you said, with, with DriveWise. Uh, we invested over, over the summer uh, in a minority transaction. That's really what we look to do, to partner with businesses as a minority investor. Uh, and as many of your listeners you know, may know, DriveWise is a business that offers a connected truck platform to truckers. Their uh, flagship product is Bypass, which enables truckers to bypass way stations, legally, I might add, uh, saving them significant money in terms of time and fuel and, and really increasing driver satisfaction, which is more important than, than ever these days. They have a wonderful opportunity to really go after the market. Uh, they have a small percentage of the market today with their product. Uh, and really, quite honestly, every truck uh, should have this product given uh, how valuable it is. And so we invested to help them do that and go after that uh, opportunity, in addition to building out their larger connected truck platform, which over time, I think, has the potential to be really game-changing uh, and add uh, a number of additional products given the access they have to millions of trucks on the road with their software platform. Uh, the business, as you asked, is, is doing really well right now, um, as I'm sure uh, a lot of other people saw. Uh, there was a bit of uncertainty really early in the second quarter when, when the lockdowns first hit and COVID uh, was at its height uh, in terms of the lockdowns. As, as people will probably uh, remember, the trucking industry was actually quite busy restocking our shelves with toilet paper and whatnot. Um, but, you know, that really meant people were a bit too busy and a bit too uncertain to be buying new software. But as we came out of that uh, later in the second quarter and through today, the business has been doing really well. Uh, people are back to focusing on efficiency, uh, making sure they can deliver their products effectively, uh, and DriveWise is a great uh, answer for that. And, and so they've seen a lot of success over the past few months. Andrew, you guys are about $600 million in uh, assets under management, or at least this current fund is. $60 million is a, you know, is a large portion of that. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, a pretty big bet. Why DriveWise specifically over other businesses that you could have invested in space? Yeah, so that, that's absolutely correct. Our, our current fund is, is 600 million that we're investing out of and, and the DriveWise deal as announced was about 60 million. You know, I would say, as I alluded to before, you know, a lot of our bets are big, all of our bets are big. Um, and and that we think that's a really um, profitable way to invest over the long term, because that uh, means you have conviction in an idea, and that means you can really help those companies succeed. You know, in the specific case of DriveWise, I'd highlight uh, a, a few things. 
One is it's, it's a product, as I mentioned before, with a real clear ROI. That's very important to us. You talk to people who use it, the trucking companies, the truck drivers. They love it, and it saves them time and money, and that's really important. It also has a really interesting uh, competitive landscape and some really interesting barriers to entry. They have relationships with 47 uh, states and provinces in North America, which gives them uh, the ability to offer bypasses at close to 850 way stations. Uh, that's not something that those state and local authorities take lightly. Uh, way stations are critical infrastructure that ensure uh, collection of taxes, ensure uh, enforcement of safety regulations. And so to let a truck drive by that without inspecting it is really a critical decision. And so you need to be a trusted partner of them. We're also a trusted partner uh, of the ELD providers uh, who uh, are, are uh, it's our big you know, go-to-market channel. We're integrated with the hardware and software that's already in millions of trucks on the road. Uh, we're an add-on product that they offer. Uh, and so when you combine all that, it, it's really a business that would be really difficult to replicate. Uh, and that's also important to us. Uh, and then the final piece I'd, I'd mention is just the, the legs they have to really grow from here, which is very important to us. I alluded to this before really a small percentage of the market today, and they should be able to grow that over time with some strong execution from the great sales team, in addition to the ability to add other products over time, as I alluded to before. So when you put that all together, uh, a real clear value proposition, a, a strong set of barriers to entry that'll make it a defensible product for a long time, and some real you know, room to run and grow, I think um, you know, investing a lot of money in it, making a big bet is a really comfortable thing for us. Now, I get asked this a lot when, when I'm talking to investors uh, for freight waves or, or just catching up with state of the market. One of the things that comes up is the timing element of freight and logistics technology is we're starting to see a lot of deal activity that's taking place in the market. This is a relatively new, uh, last really last five years. From a timing standpoint, why was, why was this transaction or why is logistics technology or freight technology interesting today? whereas it perhaps wasn't as interesting a decade ago? Uh, no, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think in some sense, what we've seen with COVID has highlighted some of the factors. Uh, you look at the rise of e-commerce, for example, uh, Amazon's obviously out there um, doing really well, eating everyone's lunch, but, but they're not gonna be the only winner over time. Every other retailer out there, whether traditional bricks and mortar trying to move online or uh, online only uh, retailers, um, you know, they're also looking to grow in that channel. And all of that means that there's going to be more volume, more packages flowing through the network, um, trying to reach their uh, destination and a heightened sense of consumer, dare I say, entitlement, um, that they should have a greater sense of where their uh, item is, where their package is right now. Um, and so that's one big factor that I think is driving a lot of investment in freight and uh, transportation um, technology. You know, the other thing I'd say is is it's a it's a critical mission critical industry to state the obvious, moving goods across our country, keeping our economy moving. That's had outdated technology. If you look five or ten years ago, um, you know, a lot of the technology freight and trucking companies were using was uh, even at that point 10, 20 years old. Uh, and I'm not smart enough to figure out what exactly causes that tipping point. But when we look across industries, those tipping points come. Uh, and I think we're finally starting to see that. And so when we combined you know, those different factors, it's clear to us that this is a market that is changing rapidly, that we'll see the adoption of new technology rapidly. Uh, and there's a real uh, need for that given some of the market forces I talked about. Uh, and so we're not gonna get the micro timing right. Um, and that's not what our focus is, but from a macro perspective, 
I, I think the timing is right for a lot of continued investment in the sector. And one of the concerns a lot of investors uh, state when, when I'm talking to, to them about state of freight and what's happening is the perception that a lot of carriers, and you've identified it and stated it, is that a lot of carriers are using old technology or they're not spending a lot of money on technology. Uh, I would argue that's changing. What is your perspective? Yeah, I, I think that's changing very quickly. Um, and and what I'd say is is be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Uh, you know, these are people, smart people, who respond to economic incentives and business incentives. And if you offer them technology that's easy to use, easy to install, uh, and delivers a real ROI, I think that resistance goes away pretty quickly. I think some of the problems people have had historically is they were offering products that you know, didn't hit all of those key buckets. It didn't hit all those key items. Uh, and so I, what we're seeing with DriveWise, what we're seeing otherwise is as people understand they need to modernize their businesses, given all the market forces I talk about, and they're offered modern tech-enabled solutions, then, then they'll adopt that. That isn't to say you won't find people out there who have a 10, 20, 30-year-old TMS system that's difficult to work with, but um, you know, you can integrate there, you can eat around the edges and do some really interesting things to make those legacy technologies more efficient uh, and work better. And I think if people focus on those areas, they'll see a lot of receptivity, uh, even among what people might think of as more traditional buyers of technology. You guys made this transaction, uh, ended up funding it in the middle of the summer. Um, at the, the, the large portion of the country was still quarantined. Um, that must have been a pretty big bet that uh, the, you know, the, the market was turning around and had turned around and uh, the worst was over. Is that, is that how you guys thought of it or, or did you look at it in terms of the fact that the freight market has sustained the, you know, what was an economic downturn for everybody else and has actually thrived? No, I, I, th I think we looked at all that. We were obviously very focused on the data. I, I would say we have the comfort of being long-term oriented investors. And so I wasn't trying to pick whether July was a better month than August, was a better month than June, and how September would lay out. That, that just isn't important to us. What's important to us is five to seven years, uh, which is you know the time horizon for an investment we make. Uh, the industry may go through cycles, but it'll be. But you know, over time, uh, it's a growing industry. It's a critical industry, and DriveWise will play a critical role in that. And that's the bet you know that we were making. We weren't ignorant of the short term or of the micro. And as I think, as we sat there over the summer, what we saw was that uh, the trucking industry, after some initial hiccups or concerns through March, April, May, June, as some of the great data your company publishes showed, uh, was really remarkably stable uh, as people were ordering online uh, and people were dealing with restocking of grocery shelves. And so I think we had a reasonable amount of comfort that, that the COVID risk could be managed. If it got better, that's obviously great for our country and would lead to people coming out of their homes more and, and buying more. Uh, but if it went the other way, um, which would be obviously regrettable for the country from a transportation perspective, I think you'd see continued growth in e-commerce, continued need to deliver essential goods uh, to the consumer. Uh, and so we felt like no matter which way it went, the industry had proven that it could be resilient to the COVID risks specifically. You have any concerns about a second or third wave, depending on your argument, uh, that, that may slow things down for the freight economy? Or is your position that e-commerce is going to win out? Yeah, I, and personally, I'll just say for the country, I'm very concerned. I'm not an epidemiologist, but um, you know, I think all the data we're seeing right now is is quite concerning. And obviously, 
uh, for the health and safety of people, that, that's, that's a big concern. You know, as I mentioned before, for the freight industry, I have less concern. I, I don't want to be short-sighted. I don't want to be cavalier. Um, you know, there, there can be hiccups. There can be short-term downturns, which we did see early in the first wave in March. Um, and, and that can have a real impact on people in the industry and their jobs. But, but I do think, as you mentioned, the, the, the bet we're making is that the industry will be rather resilient given the fact that it moves so many essential goods for people uh, and given the growth in e-commerce that I mentioned. So when we think about the underwriting process for you guys, um, you're a later stage investor, a growth capital investor, you're you know, past the sort of venture cycle that a lot of the market is starting to, you know, a lot of attention's put in the venture cycle, less so in that growth capital uh, part of the market, uh, at least it relates to, to startups and what's happening. What is your process of taking a startup that's already been funded institutionally and uh, underwriting them? What's that process look like for a potential founder or a company? Yeah, great question. And, and just to define where we're playing a little bit more, more clearly, because the lines do get very blurred and you could talk to different growth investors and you might hear something a little bit different. But, but I think for us, when we talk about growth as opposed to venture, we're talking about businesses that have achieved product market fit. They have a clear product, it's out there in the market, customers are buying it, they prove that they can sell and retain customers uh, and that customers like that product. At the same token, so maybe let's say they're you know high single digits or 10 million of revenue. Um, at this, by the same token, they're at that stage in that you know high single digits to maybe 30, 40, 50 million of revenue. They want to get to 100, 200, 300 million of revenue, but they're not there yet. And so that's the sort of size where we where we really play. And so the process for us obviously begins long before an official process. We like to get and know. Uh, get to know entrepreneurs uh, and CEOs of companies, because that's ultimately what we're betting on. We're betting on the entrepreneur. We're betting on the CEO to execute. We're not managers of the business. We can't do that. We can be very helpful. Um, but if there's not a great team in place, then, then you know, it's not going to be successful. And so we're focused on building those relationships over the long term. When a deal process actually happens, you know, it can be short, it can be long. That really often depends on what the company wants to do. But we're really digging in deeply to understand the background of the business, understand its product, understand its customers, their retention, um, the sales process, how that goes, the marketing process, how the company acquires leads, uh, obviously the financial metrics and the financial efficiency of the business, doing a pretty complete financial and business uh, due diligence exercise, which you know can take on average, call it four weeks to a month if, if everything goes efficiently. Uh, and, and that really you know, gives us that conviction that I talked about before you know, to make a big bet uh, in, in, in a business. Andrew, you, you mentioned your range, if, if, if I'm understanding this correct, 10 million of ARR to 30 million of ARR is really sort of the sweet spot. Is that, did I understand that correct? Yeah, I, I'd probably call it 10 to 50 is the sweet spot, but yeah, you, you understood correctly with you know, the ability to color around the edges a little bit for you know, exceptional businesses, either on the small end or the large end, but let's call it 10 to 50. And one of the things that we found out when we went out to the market, went out to the, the Valley, Silicon Valley, is a lot of the SaaS investors, the pure play SaaS investors, you know, large, big names, 
didn't understand a lot, part of our model, which is media-driven, which is non-ARR, but still has a high margin, high growth component. When you underwrite businesses ac across a portfolio where you have a, a, perhaps an ARR business and a, a business that's reoccurring, how do you look at those businesses? Do you separate them and underwrite them separately? Or do you look at sort of the cohesive part of the, uh, of the business and how it connects? No, that's a, that's a great question. And we are able to underwrite and are able to invest in those different pieces of revenue. Uh, and DriveWise, DriveWise, excuse me, is an example of that. Uh, I mentioned their core bypass product, which is you know straight a uh, ARR. They also have a great business, which is actually the original corporate name, Intelligent Imaging Systems, or IIS, which provides integration, consulting, and other services to uh, state and local uh, authorities to help them build way stations and whatnot. So, so we're comfortable with that. And I think given our focus and concentration, we're able to take a bit more of, of that uh, integrated view of a business and really understand the business uh, it, when we invest in it rather than, you know, a venture capital firm, which, by the way, I have a respect for, I have a lot of respect for a ton of them, uh, might need to sort of just put some more lines in place given how many deals they're doing. So to your question, we look at it as an integrated offering. And, and what we love to see is some synergy between those different pieces of business. Uh, in the case of DriveWise, the relationship between the, the relationships that they have with the IIS business, which is that compliance piece of business, enabled them to build uh, an attractive uh, ARR offering, enabled them to build the bypass product. In your case, your media business, as I understand it, is very complementary with your software business. That media business helps you sell and helps you get data uh, that, that people value highly and pay recurring revenue for. And so we really tend to look at things in that integrated manner and, and hope that they're self-reinforcing. Uh, and I think that's a really good business model that, that we're you know, attracted to investing in. There are other businesses, by the way, that have pieces of recurring and non-recurring that are less related. And in those cases, we can sort of split them out and apply one multiple to one half and another multiple to another half, and we can invest in that. And that is a strategy that, that has worked for us before. But obviously, it's, it's easier and, quite honestly, probably makes for a better story if there is some integration between the two. Andrew, there's been a view that the, some of the venture capital bets that have been made have overinflated valuations of companies in freight and logistics, and, and more broadly than that. Do you, as a later stage investor, do you share that? Is it hard for you guys to look at some of the valuations put on some of the earlier stage companies and get comfortable with the exit opportunities? Uh, yes, uh, is, is the short answer. And, and uh, I don't want to, um, there are a lot of smart people doing those deals out there. Uh, and, and, um, and so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to besmirch them in any way, shape or form. It's just not how, how we approach the world. You know, the bet that people are making, it's almost that the valuation doesn't matter. What they're looking at is they're looking at a large market opportunity and saying that they believe that this business has a shot to command a reasonable percentage of that market. Uh, and if you do that, the valuation of the business in five, 10 years will be massive. And so it almost doesn't matter what you pay relative to the revenue of the business today. And that's how you get some of those valuations that when you do do the math appear to be rather outsized. That's a, that's a business model that we don't pursue. It's a business model that's been successful for many people. So I obviously understand it and, and wish them the best. But, but I struggle to justify some of those valuations the way you know, I look at it. But that's fine. Different, different people invest in different ways, and, uh, and that's what makes the market robust and good. It's interesting seeing some of the valuations that we get 
you know, we get data on what companies raised and what they're valued at, and it's hard for even someone who sits as a founder to get comfortable with some of the sizes of those valuations, sort of understand the, the metrics of the business. Because at some point, you have to exit. Uh, the only valuation, the only valuation that matters to me and my management team is the one when that liquidity event happens at the end of the day. And that's a good point. And and that there actually is a downside. Um, I don't know if your listeners saw the early seasons of Silicon Valley on HBO. That but that was a plot point in in season one, right? When you raise money at an inflated valuation, all that does is raise the expectations and raise the pressure in terms of where you have to raise money at the next round and in terms of where you have to exit the business to achieve the outcome that your investors are looking for. So so that's a very good so that's a very good point. But ultimately what you should be looking at, what other entrepreneurs should be looking at and what um, you know investors are looking at is in five, 10 years, if I'm very successful, what can this business be worth? Uh, and then you know discount that back to just for the risk associated with it. Um, and, and that can give you a good sense for what your business is worth today, uh, understanding the types of return profiles that investors are looking for. Well, Andrew, really appreciate the time today. Uh, great conversation. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, any more time for a uh, later conversation, but people can reach you uh, on LinkedIn, or is there another way, is that the best way to reach you? Yes, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and my uh, email address is corn, K-O-R-N, at sageviewcapital.com. Really happy to meet uh, any entrepreneurs out there uh, or any other people involved in the market. It's a space we're very interested in uh, and, and would love to build dialogues and conversations. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Full speed ahead and being a part of our Freight Tech Summit.